Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Julia, Amanda's on vacation, so I am joined for this intro by editor Eric. Hello. And this is episode 143, Myth Movie Night, Princess Mononoke. Now, I did not watch this movie this week along mm-hmm. with you guys, but I have seen it quite a few times. The best time I ever saw it was in the this cool basement fancy sushi bar mm-hmm. where they just had it playing on all the TVs while everyone was eating fancy fancy sushi. I feel like that's I hope that wasn't your first introduction to the film because I feel like that would be too much. It wasn't. It was my f- okay. it, first introduction to fancy sushi, though. Ooh, very nice. I'm into so, that. So my, my cousin used to work at, at this this fancy sushi place, and she, t- she took me down there, and it was quite quite the good stuff. I, she just said, oh, is there anything off limits? And I said, no, and she just she knew the chef, Ooh. so she would just order up all the, these wild, wild things that uh, I had never had before. It was very great. cool. I feel like it's a bold move to say, no, anything is cool with sushi, but that's just me personally. I I definitely, I definitely had some some interesting stuff. There was some, I think, eel mm-hmm. eel eggs and right. some stuff like that. Yeah, some some real a real treat. Ooh, interesting. Okay, you know who I would treat to fancy sushi any day of the week, Eric? Would that be our new patrons? It is. It's our new patrons, Katarzynia and Megan. And who would you uh, buy the entire Blu-ray box set of all the Miyazaki films for? Wow, that's a, it's a bold move, but I would absolutely do it for our supporting producer-level patrons. Philip, Eeyore, Skyla, Mercedes, Samantha, Marissa, Sammy, Josie, Neil, Jessica, and Phil Fresh. And I would spend an entire day in the movie theater, like a real nice one, like an Alamo Draft House, with all of our legend-level patrons. Oh, you mean Mark, Ayla, Cody, Mr. Folk, James, Jess, Sarah, Sandra, Audra, and Jack Marie? I mean, all of those people. They're all wonderful. Julia, tell me what drink you and Amanda were uh, drinking. Last time I saw the movie in that sushi bar, I was probably having some sake. But what were you guys having this past week? So I picked a drink that was kind of inspired by our drink around the world that we did in Epcot. You joined us for that. It was delightful. But in Japan, I had this incredible drink that was like shaved ice and sake and plum wine and a little bit of like blackberry syrup and it was incredible. But for this one, I kind of wanted to do something a little bit more herbal. So I made what's called a mist and shadow. So it features pea pods, dill, sake, and also Saint Germain. That sounds very good. If it was anything like the drink we had in Epcot, I'm sure you guys and our patrons will love it. Oh, yes, absolutely. And Eric, I know we usually do recommendations, but uh, what have you been watching and reading and listening to? So I want to recommend uh, after listening to the full episode, after editing it, since we we do the full episode and then the intros later, uh, a video by Philosophy Tube. We kind of talk about uh, some heavy topics towards the end of this. Nothing, nothing uh, terribly dark or anything, but well, I guess terribly dark because it's about climate change. Yes, it is. And Philosophy Tube, one of my favorite YouTubers, just uh, this past week released a video on climate grief. And I think it's really worth checking out. He makes unbelievably good videos. They're all very like well stylized and scripted and like kind of act as uh, small theater productions, like one man shows Ooh. more than anything on YouTube. And uh, this video, since it directly kind of relates to the conversation you and Amanda had at the end of the episode, I think it's uh, well worth checking out for sure. 
Awesome. That sounds really cool. I'm going to check it out myself. Now, Eric, one last plug before we get to our episode. I know you are the creator of the new Multitude show that is exclusive to our multi-crew members, Head, Heart, Gut. Do you want to just give us a little plug and why people should start listening to it? Head, Heart, Gut is a friendly debate show created by myself and Eric Silver. It is a game show that takes place over the course of four weeks. The first three weeks, each person presents a choice of a uh, of a certain trio or or small set and then in the final episode a special guest judge julia was one of those special guest judges mm-hmm. here's the arguments of those people and gets to decide who the ultimate winner is so it's fun because instead of doing like one episode discussing two things it is like a season long arc there's different parts of the show so it feels pretty fresh throughout the whole thing episodes are usually about uh 20 25 minutes for the first three and then the judging episode kind of can go up to an hour so it's it's got a nice feel it's uh it's a lot of fun and i'm really happy with uh what we what we've created uh right after this i'm actually gonna be uh recording uh, September's season Ooh. with a few special guests. Uh, I guess I can say Brandon and Mike. So it'll be a lot of fun. So you can check out the first two seasons on Primary Colors and Gen 1 Pokemon starters already if you sign up. And uh, pretty soon in uh, September, we've got a whole new batch coming. Do you want to give the people a little hint as to what it's going to be? I'll say it is not going to be exactly a 23-part saga, <laughs> but it could definitely go on that long if you had the right team. And the the money that certain giant corporations have. Yeah. <laughs> sure. All right. And you can listen to Head, Heart, Gut if you go to multicrew.club and sign up to be a member of the multicrew today. Highly recommend it. It is some great stuff coming out, and we have a lot of fun little perks that go with joining the multicrew. And without further ado, please enjoy episode 143, Myth Movie Night, Princess Mononoke. Julie, I'm just going to sit here in my pain until you tell me to say something, because Princess Mononoke has ruined me. Yeah, I was just going to be like, I'm real sad now, because of Princess Mononoke. I was so excited to watch this movie. I had not seen it yet, and I love every other Miyazaki movie, so I was stoked. And Eric was like, oh my god, Amanda, you're going to love this. It's about like women fighting a very important war and like fixing mistakes that men make. And I was like, amazing. Sounds like the perfect spirit movie. Did not know it was going to break, reshape, and re-break me as a person. Yeah, I will admit this is my first time watching Princess Mononoke as much as a weeb I was as a child. This is yep. my first time. And oh boy. <laughs> Maybe it's good that you didn't watch it until now because I think you would have fully become a wolf daughter. Yeah, yeah, that would have happened to me, huh? I would have just been straight up that. That was that was baby Julia for those curious. Like rolling out onto the playground. Yeah. Like, wolf child. Wolf child, hair a little tangled, like ready to scrap. My hair was always Beautiful. tangled. That's true. Beautiful though. Yeah, I, I just straight up didn't take notes for the last hour and a half of this movie because I was so enthralled. And also because I had a weird janky setup where I couldn't find one that had either subtitles or dubs. So I pulled Ah. up the script on one side of my monitor and then the movie on the other side of my monitor and just watched it like that. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of eating my words here because um, this would have been an appropriate situation. Schneider, ready for this? Would have been an appropriate situation to own a Blu-ray. He did. He did send us the Blu-ray when we were trying to find streams online. I will give him credit. I own exactly one Blu-ray, 
and that is the box set of West Wing. I think it's a Correct. DVD, actually. I own one DVD slash Blu-ray, and it's the box set of West Wing. So I think Miyazaki movies may have to be the second set I own. Yeah, but that's also money, money, cash, cash. Well, Julia, let's get into Princess Mononoke. Tell us a little bit about why you chose the movie, and let's do maybe like a high-level plot synopsis. Sure, yeah. I don't want to go into like too, too much detail, just because I didn't take a lot of notes on the plot. I just <laughs> took notes on my emotions. I have pulled up Wikipedia. Huzzah! So I picked Princess Mononoke because Japan has a really interesting relationship when it comes to spirits and their gods and their association with the environment. And I think that uh, Miyazaki really, really encapsulates that in this film. Just watching the film, you you can sense that relationship and the kind of otherworldliness of the world itself is a good way to describe it. It's very early right now, and I'm just a ball of emotions. And I'm sure I'll have more coherent things to say as we start to get into the plot. But yeah, good movie. Lots of uh, lots of deities and stuff like that. We'll we'll talk more as we get to the plot points. Yeah, and listeners, this would be a really great one for you to watch and then uh, listen to this episode along with us. We won't spoil it during the ep, but uh, this is seriously worth your time. It's it's one of the few exceptions to the tight ninety rule of movies, where this is a tight two and a half hours, and it's absolutely worth it. It was worth every single second. So, Julia, we open in a beautiful village, very idyllic, very pastoral. There is a cameo by uh, Kiki of the delivery service. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, the girl from the gift. Oh, wait, it's Kiki. Mm-hmm. There um, it is. And then all of a sudden, there is danger. And we see our protagonist riding around kind of doing like a, uh, I don't know, like rounds, you know, guarding. Mm-hmm. Climbs up a watchtower, starts to sort of talk to an elder there. And then we see something creeping over the wall of the village. And it is like darkness incarnate. This is the Tatari Gami, a uh, quote, cursed spirit um, that I just called Evil Tangela. Don't like that one bit. Evil Tangela in shape of uh, weird boar. Yes. And then so we see it sort of like chase around. Um, our protagonist ta- tries to like cut it down. He gets one arrow in the eye, but then doesn't stop. Um, and then by the time that he finally kills the boar that's at the middle of this demon um it falls over and we realize like oh wait that boar is gigantic also it's a god yes it actually it puts a curse on the village too as it dies which is not good i wrote down the quote it is soon all of you will feel my hate and suffer as i have suffered yeah and ashitaka is like oh no also this thing touched me and now my arm is purple yeah and this is really interesting too because a lot of shintoism which is the religion that this movie finds a lot of its inspiration from uh, focuses around purification and we saw that a little when we talked about the japanese underworld in the earlier episode where purifying and purification have such influence on just the culture itself so i think that like this is a really interesting plot point because it is so focused on an aspect of shintoism that is a huge part of it and I also uh, looked up that the Amishi people, which is the village, it's, it's an Amishi village that um, Ashitaka comes from, uh, are historical people. They're from the Tohoku region in Japan, and they have like literatures ba- dating back to like 400 AD, though the movie takes place between kind of like 1550 and 1650 AD. Yeah, it's I, I really like that. Also, the their signatures, as we find out later from his interactions with the monk, are pottery and also they ride red deer and as i mentioned literally last week deer 
much better to ride than horses. I stand by that. Deer are amazing. This deer in particular, Eric called it an ibex. I think that might be like a particular, you know, kind of deer, the kind of deer that it is, but it, it's incredible and wonderful. Ashitaka and Yakuru, the the deer, have a beautiful pure friendship and I uh, love it. And it's worth rewatching the movie just to see that again. They're An- wonderful. Animal companions are always good and I love them so much. And this so movie's much. full of them. Yeah. They're just, they're everywhere. So uh, moving on, Ashitaka confers with the elders in the village and we learn, kind of like put a goosebumps on me, that these people, this tribe has lived uh, isolated for over 500 years because they you know, were at war and they wanted to protect themselves both from kind of like dangers outside the village that seem kind of more like environmental dangers and then also other people. So the tribe has been growing weaker and smaller and Ashitaka was kind of, you know, tapped to be the next chieftain of the village. But now per their laws, the sort of demon that touched him, the curse he's carrying, will eventually kill him. So they say, listen, you know, do you accept your fate? He says yes. And something that I thought was really moving is he accepts what lays before him, whereas the elders around him are upset and regretful. And normally you kind of see like the young person is sort of rebellious, right? Like Katniss style, like doesn't want to do it. And then the elders are like, no, you have to do it. Um, But here you see that like these people really care deeply for each other. This is a serious tragedy. But Ashitaka has the sort of like stoicism and like higher purpose uh, to say like, yes, I will head west. I will figure out what's going on. I will try to confer with the old gods um, and figure out why an old god was infected by a demon, why he had a ball of iron in his stomach and how we can, you know, at least find out more information and send that back on to the people who will survive me. Yeah, you make a great point there because normally when we look at a hero's journey, we have a very reluctant hero to begin with and they have to be convinced in order to go on to their journey. But Ashitaka is ready to do it as soon as they're... Like, he, he certainly doesn't seem happy about it. He doesn't want to leave his his people behind but at the same time he does it with grace and with dignity and uh with a certain amount of you know courage that it takes to leave your people and never return absolutely and before he leaves his younger sister kaya friend of kiki um gives him a crystal dagger so he won't forget her and he's like don't worry i'll never forget you and i did my first cry of this movie oh wow this early huh uh-huh. All right, good. It was a good day for Amanda. Also, he's like, I will never forget you, and then immediately gives it to another girl. Uh, it is his sister. I thought at first they were romantic interests, yeah. but Wikipedia tells me it's his sister, yes. so that that at least uh, isn't quite as, um, you know, opportunistic. Yeah, that's something at least, but still. So on the road, um, Ashitaka comes across a Buddhist monk, Jiko, who tells Ashitaka, he's, he's sort of at first like being... I guess, like led or persecuted or attacked or goaded by another um, group of people. And Ashitaka goes to kind of like defend him. But then we see that his right arm, which is one that was touched by the demon, um, sort of takes over and actually fires the arrows and straight off, Julia cuts off a person's arm yeah, and then and cuts off a person's head. It get I was not expecting it to be as violent I, as it I, is. I like gasped. Yeah. All of a sudden it happened. I'm like, huh? 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 Yeah, like that is that's really what happened. Um, and something something that Eric pointed out too is like this is um, this is an adult movie. This is not for kids. Yeah. And unlike most Miyazaki movies, like this is made for adults. It deals with adult subjects. It is animated, of course, but this is like a movie that reckons with humanity, and it's not just for children. It really, really does. I, also, at one point, he manages to decapitate someone with just an arrow, and I'm like, I don't. Yeah. That doesn't. 
I don't. Okay. So I think it's something to do with the kind of like otherworldly force that the demon brings to him, the kind sure. of power, because we do see later on that he sort of demonstrates superhuman strength. He's right. able to like lift a tree log, is able to lift a gate of a village, um, which normally takes 10 men. So we see some kind of inkling that uh, he will sort of transcend just human power, which he showed in that first scene of defending the village. Sure. I agree. So he kind of becomes allied with Jigo. Jigo feeds him. They camp together at night. Um, and Jigo sort of seeds in Ashitaka's mind that maybe he can go ask for help from the great forest spirit, which is an um, animal god by day and giant night walker by night. Mm -hmm. And nearby, the men who originally attacked or was kind of goading Jigo um, are going to Tataraba, Irontown, uh, which is led by Lady Eboshi. And... Ashitaka soon goes to say hello to them right after they fend off an uh, attack by a wolf pack led by the wolf goddess Moro. Yeah. Oh, God. The, the first scene with the wolves is so good and so, like, I, you kind of immediately, or at least in my head, I immediately put, like, two and two together. The Iron Ball, Iron Town, the guns that they're using, and then yeah. firing upon the wolves. So I'm just like, ooh, oh, no. This is it's bad. Yeah. And uh, the way that Ashitaka kind of finds out about this is he is riding through the forest and sort of seeds San, the human girl who's riding the wolves with a wolf pack with a red mask, like, you know, painting on her arms, not a sexy outfit, like just wearing a tunic that's yep. white because she is like living with the wolves, um, it, which is really nice to see. And he sort of sees her, you know, bring the wolves out to take a drink. They make eye contact. And then immediately, of course, San leaves. Um, but clearly something about them is like what Ashitaka is looking for. And so he sort of, I guess, reverse engineers where they came from and thereby makes it to Irontown. It's, it's, it's I'm hearing Hades Town in my head. So let's call it Tataraba, which is what it is in Japanese. Oh, I'm not going to remember that. Okay. okay. Um, I will say, though, that it, after the wolf attack, he helped several of the Irontown citizens who fell and were kind of left for dead and yes. manages to bring them back to Irontown, but only by going through the quote unquote forbidden forest, which... That was really funny in my translation. As he is carrying these people through the forest, we see for the first time the Kodama, which are really, really cool. Do you remember the Kodama, yeah. the little white guys with the... Little forest friends, Julia. Yes. They're amazing. I They came on screen and I sat up straight and I said, very creepy, very cool. Yes. So Kodama are an actual spirit from Japanese uh, tradition. So they are basically just, they're similar to dryads in Greek mythology where they're associated with individual trees, but also the forest as a whole. So the term Kodama refers specifically to the spirit, but also the tree in which they reside in. And they're also also associated with you remember they do the little like noise so they sure do they like they like rotate their head as if you're rotating like a, a thermostat or the i don't know the like beginning of a toaster oven and then it springs back mm -hmm. in an absolutely creepy and then adorable fashion i don't think anything has been this creepy and cool in the same moment as the kodama are yeah. so that phenomenon and why they make that noise is called yamabiko and so basically, it's the delayed echoing effect in mountains and valleys that you can like hear. It kind of sweeps across a mountain or a valley when you hear a noise. Uh oh. So that, Love that. So that is what the Kodama are kind of associated with, which is very uh, cool. They're so good. Yeah. I, I love them. They're so, they're like dorky, but also creepy. I love it. 
Yeah. We just went to the Japanese supermarket in Epcot and I got like a beautiful little dish towel with the little dust friends from Spirited Away. Uh, And I want to go back immediately because I want to buy one of these guys. If I didn't know about the Kodama, I probably would have seen that doll and been like, scary alien, bye. But the Kodama are now my best friends and I love them a lot. They're also very important to the kind of like broader plot of the movie. And we glimpse them again and again in significant ways as sort of barometers of like the health of the forest. Because Ashitaka is like, oh, don't be worried when they see one. Um, he's like, this is awesome. They are signs of a healthy forest. Yeah. Whereas the man from Irontown is like, oh, no, 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 scary. What are those? Ah. And right away, we sort of see seated here the um, acceptance and understanding of the world, the natural world versus a more um, antagonistic perspective and maybe one that's less versed in the long-standing traditions and knowledge of the place. Yeah. And I would also maybe even argue a more westernized version because uh, it, one of the first things I associated with the Kodama is when they were leading them through the forest, Ashitaka, very trusting, thinks that the Kodama are going to help them get through and lead them to help. Whereas the uh, the man from Irontown basically is like, I think he's going to lead us astray. I think he's going to get us even more lost, which reminds me of so many European spirits that you find in the forest who are just want to steer you around and have you starve to death or, you know, just lose you and then attack you in the forest if you go off the path, you know? So I think that it's really interesting to kind of look at those two perspectives. Yeah. And this is also a movie about about like inherited wisdom versus... Uh, like growth in in you know scare quotes um and a lot of the conflict here is about like do we choose a world that is enough for everybody or do we choose one where i have to defend everything that i have and could possibly want because if i don't someone else will take it and there's one that's collaborative there's one that's antagonistic and you know not to like reduce the centuries of like different people and and religions and cultures and identities into like two basic plot points but in terms of just like futurism or progressivism, you know, or like all of these these ideas where we drive toward like industrialism and uh, and more resources and more defense. It's kind of like a defensive mindset versus a more collaborative mindset. Um, and I think every every country and people have struggled with that. Um, but that's very much kind of the the thing at the center of this movie. Yeah, that's a great point. Wow. Oh, God. I love when you do that. Ugh. <laughs> Thank you. I want to say one of the other things that they see when they are going through the forest is the forest spirit, but from a distance at first. They do. And it looks like a deer um, surrounded by like a golden halo. And I was like, oh, the deer is God. Okay, I get it. Like it's it's the clearest imagery you could ask for. But also like many, many antlers, not just the singular antlers. Many, many, many antlers. Like a, a real a real kind of like crown, yeah. like on an icon. Yeah. They also, at one point, kind of bathe in this water that they find in the center of the forest and uh, notice that their wounds not entirely are healed, but feel a bit better. Ashitaka feels stronger as he kind of passes through the forest and is carrying the man out. Just from glimpsing the forest spirit, he feels a little bit stronger and then is able to make it to the water where they bathe. The one man who's less wounded is kind of stabilized. And then the other one drinks from it. And uh, we sort of assume is able to make that final journey back to Irontown because he has that kind of like little boost of strength. Yeah. Also, Ashitaka's weird uh, cursed arm starts flipping out when it sees the forest god, too. But more to the point, it doesn't heal his cursed arm. Bathing in the water does nothing for his cursed arm. It's true. 
And then we make it to Iron Town, and shit pops off. But because we really have Iboshi, we sure do. And before we uh, talk more about this lipsticked, uh, you know, chieftain, I would love if you would join me for a refill. Let's go, Eric. As you know, I've been. Uh, experimenting in professional wrestling. Is that a good way to describe it? I don't really mind. I feel like you're doing it pre- pretty pretty full on at this point. I wouldn't yeah. say it's an experiment at this point. Yeah, and I can feel it in my body a lot of the times. I come home sure. very sore a lot of days. But I have had a lot of help with that, actually. And a lot of that has to do with Feels. So Feels is a premium CBD that is delivered directly to your doorstep. It helps naturally reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. So I've been using it for my sore muscles and like when my neck starts feeling a little funky because I took a bad bump. And honestly, I can I can really feel the difference. All you have to do is place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you can feel the difference within minutes. It's so easy. I can do it right before bed and it just helps me fall asleep even though my muscles are aching and sore. And what's really nice is that if you're new to CBD, since it is a big thing right now that not a lot of people know everything about, Feels offers a free CBD hotline and text message support so they can guide you through your like introductory to this. So you're, there's nothing to worry about. So you can learn all the details and uh, and feel comfortable trying this new thing out. Yeah. And, you know, some people get a little nervous about trying CBD out. But the nice part is uh, there's no high. You don't get a hangover from it. There's no addiction associated with it. And right now you can join the Feels community to get Feels delivered directly to your door every month. You can save money on every order and you can pause and cancel at any time. So Feels is really helping me a lot with managing my pain. And you can become a member today by going to feels.com spirits and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. So that's F-E-A-L-S dot com spirits to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. So that's feels.com spirits. Thanks so much, Feels. Julia, as you know, this year we've been doing more live shows than ever before as Multitude. And... For me, when I'm up on stage, you know that I've got to look fresh. Everyone does. And who helps me stay fresh more than Stitch Fix? Oh, I love Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that delivers your favorite clothing, shoes, and accessories directly to you. Now, when I go shopping, I usually end up just getting like one thing at a time so I can like figure out if it like matches other stuff I already mm-hmm. have. But Stitch Fix will send you five items from brands you know and love, plus exclusive styles that you won't find anywhere else, meaning that they will package up a perfect outfit and give you these little cards about other clothes that will match with those outfits. So you can like have an outfit ready to go and you'll probably be able to put that shirt on with those pants that you already have and still look good. So you're not just like, you're not getting delivered one outfit, you're getting delivered a nice starter kit that can be expanded. So after you complete your style profile, an expert stylist will help you pick clothes that you love and they send you that box and then you are good to go, whether it's out on the town to work or to a live show, whether you're in the audience or up on stage. Mm-hmm. It's it's versatile as hell, and that's the best part. The, your stylist will listen to you. You can add little notes to them being like, hey, I am performing on a stage next month. Can you send me outfits that would look good on stage? And then they send you sparkles, and I love it. Yes, they, they have definitely sent you a number of outfits with sparkles in them, for yes, sure. They know they know me very well at this point. And the great thing is that shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free, and the $20 styling fee is automatically applied towards 
anything you keep right in your box. So you can discover some new styles and find unique pieces with Stitch Fix. I have found some incredible stuff that is just in my wardrobe constantly. I cycle through those all of the time. It's honestly, I I couldn't think of a better way of shopping. So you can get started today at stitchfix.com slash spirits and get 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Yep, that's stitchfix.com slash spirits. Stitchfix.com slash spirits. Speaking of kind of like performances and our live shows and stuff like that, I've been really trying to expand my horizons when it comes to creating stuff artistically. So I just recently started taking a class with Skillshare about writing character-driven short stories. Like, I've always been like, maybe I'll write a novel one day. But I think, you know, starting smaller and starting with short stories and really learning the beats of a story is going to help me in the long run of wanting to write and do things creatively. So I took this really, really interesting class. It was like 45 minutes. It really dug deep, though, and like taught me so many of these cool skills. And of course, I learned about it through Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community of creators. They have over 25,000 classes that are designed to fuel your curiosity, your creativity, and your career. And Spirits listeners, as you well know, can go and get two free months of Skillshare Premium at Skillshare.com Spirits2. And if writing is not your thing, you can take classes in stuff like social media marketing, mobile photography, or even illustration. There's a great class right now that's about just illustrating with pen work, which I know is really, really difficult to do. So whether you're looking to discover a new passion, start a side hustle, or gain a new professional skill, Skillshare is there to keep you learning, thriving, and reaching those new goals. Sign up today. You go to Skillshare.com spirits2 to get two free months of Skillshare premium. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash spirits2 to start your two-month free trial now. And now, let's get back to our show. Julia, lipstick equals sin? Pride? Modernity? Let's talk about lipstick in this movie. Modernity, I think, is the correct term. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because Lady Eboshi is the head of Irontown. She is like a capitalist she is an industrialist um she is here to like run this town where men are in charge of kind of like going out for food of herding oxen which they both eat and then use to plow and to trade for rice um so there's clearly like food scarcity and kind of like real problems of resources going on but more to the point the women in the village are wearing like headscarves and very functional tunics in cute colors and work all evening long in the iron works to make iron and steel that they trade for resources. Yeah, I will also point out that um, almost all of the people who are living in Irontown who were brought there by uh, Lady Eboshi are social outcasts. So they are lepers who are helping manufacture her guns. Most of the women there were women who worked in brothels that Lady Eboshi then paid out their contracts so that they can come live in Irontown, which I think is very cool. Um, but yeah, I just, it, it seems like while industrial, it seems like sort of a paradise for people who wouldn't be quote unquote accepted in outside society. Yeah, it it definitely complicates our view of Eboshi because we walk in and we're like, okay, well, she's she's manufacturing iron. We see that she is manufacturing guns and it's like, oh, no, well, obviously this is bad. But then you see a, you know, someone with personal experience talks and is like, hey, Ashitaka, like I get that you have to like make your own decision about whether you think this is right or wrong. But no one helped us. No one looked at us. No one wanted to be near us or touch us. And, you know, Eboshi has given us a great life and like meaningful work. Um, so it, it's truly 
you know, everybody's trying to fight for what they think is right and not entirely bad and not entirely good, which should have been my first signal that this movie is a tragedy yeah. <laughs> and uh, not just a fun romp through the forest. Yeah, it's uh, many shades of gray, except for Jigo. I feel like he's the only one that's just like, mm, no, you're, yeah. you're just a dick. <laughs> you you can go. Yeah. Don't need you. Uh, Iboshi also explains to Ashitaka that San was raised by wolves and hates all of humankind and definitely wants to kill her. Yeah, the quote is, Mononoke lives to kill me. And I was like, oh, God, that's San. Um, and I I was like, why? How? What, do you know each other? Are you related? What's happening? Nope, just she, she bad and cutting down the forest so that she can get her iron. Exactly. So they're like clear cutting the forest to get uh, iron sand to then make iron. And um, that is the conflict here where Eboshi wants to encroach on the forest. She wants to get rid of like literally kill the forest spirit because that will kind of like domino effect style, like disempower the other old gods who are trying to fight her back from cutting down their forest. And they are like truly at, you know, loggerheads here. Like they, you know, Eboshi wants to eliminate them entirely they want to eliminate eboshi and depending on who you're talking to humans entirely uh, like the gorillas that we meet later on are just like nope all humans are bad let's eat them all and get their power goodbye yeah. um versus others like the wolves seem a little bit more isolationist the boars seem a little more like gonna just go for it until we die because we can't you know we'd rather like die free than live enslaved and it's it's a lot. Yeah, and uh, we meet the uh, the boar god uh, Okoto later, and he makes a point of saying that the more the forest is cut down, the more they become just actual animals, squealing pigs, and lose their like identity and intelligence. And it reminds me, this is a weird pull, but it reminds me of in the plot of Wicked, where yes. the talking animals are slowly losing their ability to speak. They and sure reason. are. And oof, yeah, that that hurt. <laughs> Hurt me in my soul. Oh, what a good pull. Something bad. Oh, God. So so malicious. Don't like it. Oh, uh, so scary. I also love, by the way, that whenever Ashitaka gets mad at seeing the kind of like crimes against the forest that he is witnessing, uh, he has kind of like a rage fan, like a fan from down by his belly, like blows his hair and his clothes up, uh, like his, his sleeves kind of flutter. And I think it is the most adorable and endearing thing I've ever seen. It's very anime. I, I feel it in my heart. We don't get to spend much time in Iron Town before things go bad. Uh, San shows up, basically breaks into Iron Town and tries to kill Lady Ibushi. But uh, Ashitaka kind of steps in the middle of things and manages to knock both of them out, which Iron Town people are not super happy about, let's be real. But at least they didn't murder each other. Yeah, and it's only with the kind of demonic power that he's able to do that because both Eboshi and San are incredibly uh, smart strategists and skilled in like knife work. And I don't know if you noticed this, Julia, but the the like tenor of their fight, like the sounds of the knives were much higher pitched than those usually are. And it just it sounded like cutting through everything I've ever known. Like it yeah. just it, it hit. It was like a crystal bell level of clarity. The sound design in this movie is so good. Obviously, the animation is beautiful, and like we know that about Miyazaki films, but the sound is also the thing that I keep getting like stunned by. It's so good. It is very, very good. Oh, God. Yeah, no, but I, I was going to bring up the fact that the animation in that fight scene is also fantastic, but the fact that you layered it over with that incredible sound design is 
it just makes it. Yeah. And uh, it's clear that San was there on a mission that her own life was less important than her mission, you mm-hmm. know? Like, she was there to kill Lady Eboshi and uh, therefore, presumably, to stop the humans from doing their work. Uh, but Ashitaka intervenes so that he is able to carry San out. And here is where we have, like, a like a, 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 a biblical miracle level thing um, where Ashitaka is shot through the stomach yeah. as he is trying to leave with San on his shoulders and continues to walk. Like leading his way out of the village just walking through people he like bends a sword on his way out of the gate he's trying to just be like very diplomatic and he's like i'm going to leave let me go like i don't want to hurt anybody and then ends up like lifting the gigantic gate of the city walls just on his own uh, and letting it drop down behind him and it is staggering i do want to bring up just a quick plot point during the fight he kind of uh, ashitake intercedes and kind of explains like it doesn't matter which one of you is right or wrong in this situation you're both fueled by hate and that's what's going to consume the both of you yes which is a immediate callback to the beginning of the movie where the boar god basically tells him hey i am full of hate and if you're full of hate too you're gonna suffer like i suffered yeah it's very, very true. It's very good. I have a lot of feelings. <sighs> very good. Um, and this is kind of like the third act of the movie, right? Where we move toward the like final battle. Mm-hmm. Like, Eboshi is going to kill the forest god. Ashitaka is trying for that not to happen. Mm-hmm. San is trying to defend the interests of the wolves, but ultimately sort of needs to like break free a little bit because as we start discussing like she is not wolf but she also doesn't feel um you know accepted among the humans and her panic here is the fact that like the forest is the only thing that's ever accepted her the only home she's ever known without the forest like her family of the wolves does not exist so she really is struggling to imagine a place for herself and you know i imagine that's what is leading her to see her life as much less valuable than keeping the forest because she sort of sees it as like if we lose then it's not a life anyway yeah we also see that ashitaka and moro the uh the wolf god have a conversation where basically moro says that if the forest is destroyed so will all of the creatures including san be destroyed and so ashitaka has this whole argument which i think you know i'm very conflicted about his decision uh, to make this argument but basically say hey let san be free let her join me and be the human that she's supposed to be rather than die alongside you at least in my subtitles um the translation was more like we'll figure out how to survive together because i thought he was going to the same point as well and be like oh well she is a human so she can like find a way in the human world which like you know it is not true um but i my my view was like both of them are humans who respect and and love the forest and are tied to it in some way and while they don't know what kind of life they will have after the battle like the dust settles they'll be able to like rely on each other and figure out a place yeah and i mean we we see that at the end of the film but we'll get there in a little bit so um we also see the return of jigo who is basically working with the emperor and lady ibushi to kill these no simple monk to kill the forest spirit because the emperor thinks that the forest spirit's head is going to grant him immortality Mm. (sighs) emperors and rulers always looking for immortality but i i think also this is a like 
you know, in in Japanese culture, the the emperor is very much tied to the gods and goddesses of the land of Japan. So it seems counterintuitive and also frustratingly narcissistic and egotistic for this emperor to sit out and be like, yeah, uh, fuck that forest. Uh, bring me the head, please. I want to live forever. Yeah, and at least from the way that that's depicted in the film, I'm not quite sure about kind of the historical roots. Um, it sounds like the sort of definition of modernity, which is like, you know, instead of both of us symbiotically supporting each other and granting each other, uh, you know, more than we could do on our own, I'm going to sacrifice you completely for me to win all the way. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, you know, he's kind of taking one form of divine uh, power or like endorsement and trying to, you know, channel all of that into his own personal legacy. Yeah. So basically the next plot point we see is Ashitaka is basically saved by the forest spirit. His wounds are healed. The boars have gathered in the forest and are going to make one last stand against the people of Irontown. And Ashitaka is just like, Concerned about everyone and everything, which is good for him. And so he returns back to Irontown to see that it's being attacked by those same samurai and warriors that he kind of straight up murdered earlier in the uh, mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah, He tries to warn Ibushi that this is not a good plan. Um, just don't, don't kill the forest god. It'll ruin everything. But everyone just goes through with everything anyway and doesn't listen to Ashitaka. <laughs> Which yeah, fine. and it's not just like both kind of groups of humans are trying to fight the forest gods only. They're also fighting each other. <laughs> like the uh, the emperor's men are on like a subterfuge mission to also destroy Iron Town because Lady Eboshi is trying to like keep too much of her iron and too many of her profits for the emperor. So Jigo is like a triple agent here. And sure enough, as soon as Eboshi and some of the emperor's men go off to the forest um, to to conclude this like assassination mission, uh, the samurai turn on Iron Town and the women there as the men are like out trying to fight and and you know go after the forest god um are left to defend the city with arrows and guns and whatever they have available to them so ashitaka sees this says like don't worry i will try to get a message to lady eboshi to come back and defend you and tries to run off and seek her also worse too is that the people who are fighting on the main lines against the forest spirits the boars and whatnot they, the people of Irontown are put on the front lines and aren't told that the people behind them are going to be using landmines and grenades in order to kill all of the boars. So it's horrible. It's, yeah. it's absolutely awful. War is a terrible thing. Don't use people as human weapons. That's just, oh God. Anyway, the humans managed to come up top, but not after having so many casualties. And the boars are basically all defeated and their leader uh okato is uh basically falls to his wounds and is corrupted much like we saw nago the other boar god earlier on in the film and the four spirit shows up to kind of like end the suffering of both okato and moro san's mom yeah. uh the the wolf spirit and from there, the forest spirit begins to transform into this like giant night walker. Um, Jules, what is what's the like mythological origins of this spirit? The Daidara Bochi, uh, there's more than one. So this is like a, a familiar phenomenon across Japan. But they're basically these large humanoid shadowy creatures that kind of resemble bald headed priests. 
given mm-hmm. the bullshit that happens with Jigo, it's interesting that they chose this as the yeah. inspiration. The version in Princess Mononoke is probably a lot more romanticized, I would say. Uh, so in, or at least the early version of it is romanticized. Once the forest god loses their head, it's much more similar to the version in Japanese yokai tradition. Oh, so maybe more of like an origin story. Like this is what this yokai was like before something bad happened to them or something more, I don't know, like sinister. Yeah. So basically, they're supposed to have these huge rolling eyes, these big lolling tongues and this pitch black skin. So the version that we see that's kind of this weird amorphous blob version is probably closer to the yokai version than the one that we see at the beginning of the film. And as you say, Eboshi manages to decapitate the forest spirit as it is transforming into the Nightwalker. Um, it like the body kind of turns into ooze, like you were saying, like a very kind of uh, shadowy, like tr- semi-transparent ooze, which has almost like space within it. Yeah. Um, and the forest and the Kodama begin to die as the the now Nightwalker starts to kind of like, you know, move everywhere, trying to look for its head. There's like a big fleeing scene. The people of Irontown end up evacuating into a lake because the water slows down the Nightwalker. Um, the Moro's head also comes alive, the, the wolf. Um, and in a sort of like wonderful... What is it called when a foreshadowing comes true? I don't know. Like dramatic fulfillment. irony. Yeah. yeah, dramatic irony of like previous foreshadowing um it bites off eboshi's right arm um as she had said like you know the head of the wolf still bites when decapitated yes. um she so, said that as a metaphor earlier on in the film oh yeah and then it legitimately happens it's wonderful i mean eventually ashitaka kind of corners jigo on a hill outside iron town or what used to be iron town it's now on fire and convinces him to allow him to return the head so both Ashitaka and San like raise up the head together, holding each other. It's very sweet and beautiful um, and give it to the forest spirit. But it's a little bit too late because even though the forest spirit is able to kind of glom the head back by like putting the blob on top of it, sure. um, the sun has already risen. And as the sun touches it, um, it dies. And it is so sad <laughs> and so beautiful um, because the the body sort of like dissolves into like a golden mist and in this beautiful long static shot maybe like 30 seconds long um we see the like barren hills the dust kind of settles over it it's extremely quiet and then very slowly the land begins to green again yeah and there's this this wonderful kind of throwaway line that one of the iron town citizens says where all this is happening and they say i didn't know the forest spirit brings flowers it's like, and I'm like, it, it says so much to the movie, too, because this just like perverse misunderstanding of what nature is, is the reason why Irontown and the forest spirits were at odds this entire time. Yeah, it is so sad because, you know, the forest god is dead. No two ways about it. The sort of era of the old gods is over. The forest of the forest god is gone. But even though, you know, one is going to grow in its place, it's it's never going to completely recreate the past. So San is like so bereft. But Ashitaka says, you know, the forest god is both life and death. Like the forest god exists in life and in death. 
So there is something that remains, even though, you know, the forest that San is going to live in and the town that Ashitaka stays to help rebuild, you know, are not ever going to be the versions that they were before. Yeah, no. And I think that when Ashitaka decides to return back to Irontown, I felt conflicted and like he's like, I'm going to help it rebuild, but I'll come visit you in the forest. I'm like, just (laughs) like, I don't want this to end in romance because I don't think it needs to be. But at the same time, I was just kind of frustrated with what he decides to do with his future after going through all of that. Yeah, I mean, Lady Eboshi also says um, and kind of vows when she reunites with her with her people, who she completely abandoned, <laughs> that she is going to build a better town. And I understand how Ashitaka, you know, having given up the thing that he was raised to do, which is to like steward his town, you know, and, and kind of keep them safe. Maybe he feels this loyalty and wants to have a chance to do that to someone else after having lost that first future for himself that he had envisioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I could see Ashitaka like going back home or continuing to explore, you know, and kind of um, moving on from this town who clearly have learned something, hopefully. But that's where we are. And then at the very end of the movie, we see the forest kind of beginning to regrow. And sure enough, a single Kodama emerges from the undergrowth because it's going to be healthy again everything's going to be that, okay julia is where i started sobbing and cried for about 10 minutes managing only to say do, do you think the forest friend has a family oh god he will as more trees grow i'm sure he will he will yeah this was just i don't know something about this just hit me in the gut and i think it's probably at least partially to do with the the Amazon forest has been burning for 16 days as of this yeah. recording. And I'm just so tired. I'm so tired of the world and just like, it, it, I'm going to take back what I said before about Ashitaka choosing to stay in Irontown and help rebuild it. And that being like a conflicting feelings about that, because I think that Miyazaki is making a point to say like, humans have their world and nature has theirs and they shouldn't cross over or interfere as much as they do currently. I sort of saw it as like the opposite of the Voldemort prophecy where both can only live while the other survives. And like there is no humanity without nature. There is certainly was nature without humanity, but the, the nature, the forest spirits and everyone were like very willing to say like, listen, we can live like just don't don't come into our territory. Like everybody has their territory. Everybody can coexist. We can like inform and help each other. But it's when you sort of have that like, you know, modernity, industrial ambition, not just to make what your hands can make and live on what your society needs to live on, but to like amass wealth and to try to like mechanize um, war and defense like that really is where things go wrong. Yeah, where like, Instead of the manifest destiny, humans need to spread over every part of the uh, the land as much as possible and claim it as their own, letting the forest be the forest and letting the humans dwell in their own space. I think I, I think we agree with each other. I think we're just not wording yeah, it yeah. the same way that each other does. No, but I, I think that your point about the sort of like climate grief um, is so real. And there are people way better informed than me um, to talk about it. Uh, my friend Miriam Nielsen, for example, uh, she's a channel on YouTube called Zentoro, Z-E-N-T-O-U-R-O. Um, and she is a, a climate change expert and made a video um, in January called What is Eco-Anxiety? Um, the, talking about like 
climate grief about eco anxiety and like the the real kind of psychological effects of um, acknowledging climate change. And this is like a huge subject. I didn't know that that was a thing like eco grief, um, eco feminism, like all of these kind of like climate science is not just science there. It, it, it like impacts every part of human beings, including our psychology and yeah. our like sociology. So um, it, it doesn't make it better. But I think having words and hearing others talk about it can help us kind of wrap our minds around a thing that feels too big for any one person to kind of carry. Yeah. And there's there's some really interesting things that have been written about um, religion and the impact of religion on the environment and how different religious practices can impact conservation efforts and stuff like that. So I think that that's like, I, it's not something I can personally speak on very well off off the cuff, you know what I mean? But I'm sure that I can link a couple of resources in the show notes about just how religion and how we view the environment through our religion can impact the way that we help cultivate it and conserve it. Yeah, because I mean, on a long enough timeline, humans have always wrestled with the impact of the environment on us. And we talk all the time, right, about how explaining the unexplainable and trying to feel some degree of control over what nature and the weather can do to our societies, to our like food security, you know, to our to our cultures. Um, but it's only been very recently that humans have had an effect on the environment to the scale that we do now. Yeah. Um, and we have not like reckoned with that responsibility. We have not uh, dealt with or even acknowledged the the like hugeness and the like anthropological, like Anthropocene level reversal that this really represents. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I it's just it's a lot to kind of take in. And this movie was a lot to take in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that it definitely leaves me asking questions about what I can do and what society can do as a whole about making sure that the environment lasts for a very long time. I mean, the environment is going to last long after we're Some gone. Some kind of environment. It's yeah. going to change, but it's like long after humans are long gone, the the earth is still going to be the earth, you know? Some kind of earth. Maybe not the one we grew up with, but something. And uh, I think, to me, the the main takeaway from this movie is that we are all each other's steward, and we have an obligation to the place we live, um, and and not just the other way around. Yeah, and you know, cultivate a world that the Kodama could live in. I love that so much, and I love the Kodama, and I love this film, and I love you, I love and I love too. our conspirators. So everyone, try to be a good steward of the environment today, and remember, stay creepy, stay cool. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can learn and teach just about anything. Visit Skillshare.com spirits2 to get two free months of Skillshare Premium. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Get started at stitchfix.com spirits for 25% off when you keep your whole box. And Feels Premium CBD is a new, natural, healthy, better way to feel better. Become a member today by going to feels.com spirits for 50% off your first order with free shipping. 
Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.